Today we're going to uh, wrap up and finalize this three-week series that we've been talking about getting unstrapped from our financial burdens. And we've talked about several things. We talked about tithing, as Miss Mona Lisa Cash has shared with us so eloquently today, and how that it is scriptural. We talked last week about having a giving spirit and being givers. It's different from tithing. Tithing is the 10% that God uh, requires of us. Giving is optional. It is not to be manipulated. You're not to allow anyone to make you feel guilty about this, that, or the other and to manipulate you into giving. Giving comes from our spirit and we do it freely and willingly. Now today, we're going to talk about some of the basic nuts and bolts about debt and investment. Now I know that some of you may be thinking, this is one of the strangest things that you've probably ever preached in the years that you've been here, Pastor. But let me tell you that financial bondage is one of the worst problems that we deal with in our lives. Did you know that more marriages end in divorce over money than anything else? And so it's important that we understand the principles of Scripture. Now, I've got a lot to say to you today, so I'm going to move pretty quickly. But I'm going to give you some Scriptures and seven different principles that I believe that if we will apply these to our lives, then we can get to a place where we can be financially free. Now, it may take you a while to get where you want to be. It may take you a while to get debt-free. It may take you a while to experience what it is that I'm talking about. But listen, you didn't get where you are today overnight. It probably has taken you a lifetime to get where you are right now. And it may take you a while to get where you need to be. But if we can apply the scriptural principles that we're going to talk about today, I believe that God is able to give us the freedom that we so desperately need. It's amazing to me how much more the church could do and how more effective we could be if we could just get the membership that attend the church free financially. So today I want to preach to you. I've been asking you the last two weeks to do a couple of things. Number one, I want you to check me and make sure that what I'm preaching to you is a scriptural principle. I'm not, I'm not here to try to impress you or anything. I'm not a financial advisor. The only thing that I have to offer you is scripture. And, and I need for you to believe that what I'm saying to you is not just a personal opinion, but that it is scriptural. Because once we understand that it is scriptural, then we'll be more serious about believing that it's God's plan for our life. The second thing that I've asked you to do is to check the motive of your pastor. Why is our pastor preaching this? Is it because they need more money in the funds? Or are they just trying to get me to give more? No, I'm not trying to get money from you. I'm trying to get blessings to you. Because once you take Scripture at its word, then you will do freely what God says for you to do, and then you'll be free. So I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to cajole you into doing any particular thing. My motive is clear. I want us to live within the guidelines of Scripture. Because when we do that, we'll find that God will move on our behalf. And then the third thing that I've asked you to do is to consider being obedient. 
once you have considered those things, if you really believe that it is a scriptural principle, and if you really believe that no one is trying to manipulate you or move you emotionally, that you believe that God is wanting you to do this, then I'm asking you to take a step of faith and start doing it. Because the blessing is not in the hearing, it is in the... You've got that. So today let's talk a little bit about getting unstrapped and talking about how that we can get free financially and move to another level. Now there are a lot of different personal finance books that are hot sellers in the world today. Many of them have been around for a long time. For instance, there's one called Rich Dad, Poor Dad that a lot of people have bought and have read. It's a good book. Dave Ramsey's The Total Money Makeover. Many of you are familiar with this. And then Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, talks about how that we effectively use money as a tool to get us where we need to be. But many people do not think about the Bible as being one of the best books that you can read as it pertains to finances. But the reality is, is that the Bible has sold more copies than any other book on the face of the earth. And the Bible is full of not only examples, but principles of financial living. So today we're going to talk about seven of these things today. And we're going to see that if this is what God tells us to do, then this is something we ought to seriously consider doing. So number one, let's get started. The first thing that we must do is we must set priorities. That's the first thing. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 27 says, Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Now in the New Living Translation, it says it like this. Do your planning And prepare your fields before you buy your house or build your house. Now let me explain to you what's being said here. You have to understand the context within Scripture and, and how and where it is being written. In scriptural days, most people were farmers or they, uh, they were dependent upon agriculture. And so they would go and they'd find a plot of land and they would determine whether or not they wanted to get that piece of land and farm it, grow crops there and things of that nature. One of, one of the problems or the mistakes that people made was that they would go to this piece of land and they would put all of their energy into building a house, but they didn't test the ground to see if it would grow anything. And so they would invest all of their energy and money into building a house to live in, not knowing whether or not the land that they were taking on would be fruitful. And so sometimes they would build this house and then they would plant their crops and they would discover that the land was not fruitful. It wouldn't grow anything. There was no water available for the crops. And so if they got the horse uh, behind the buggy, so to speak, then they had made a mistake because they did not set the proper priorities. They didn't do what was right according to the way that it needed to be done. So what I'm suggesting to you today is is that you need to take a good, long, hard look at your life and you need to understand that the first thing that you need to do is determine how are you going to bring finance into your life. 
I know people that just jump from job to job to job to job to job. They go to a place, they don't like it, so they go somewhere else, and they go somewhere else, and they find that it's pretty much the same there, and they just spend their whole life just trying to decide what they're going to be. How many of you, when you were little, your teacher or your parents, they'd say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, and the answer is, well, I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a fireman, or I want to be a truck driver, or I want to be a housewife, or I want to be a banker, and we'd all make all these choices. I always wanted to be a truck driver because I like the way those 18-wheelers look on the highway. Man, when they got lights all over them and that kind of thing, at nighttime, they are sharp. And I used to think, that's what I want to do with my life. At my age now, I'm thankful to God that I am not a truck driver. But the bottom line is, is that at some point in your life, preferably when you are younger, you need to make some choices about what you're going to do with your life. And remember, your job does not define who you are. Your job simply helps you bring finance into your family so that you can function. But you may be a nurse, but first of all, you are a child of God with a call of God on your life and a purpose to minister to people who are in your circle of influence. So we set our priorities. And we may not understand it, but the field isn't just something that you need for survival. It actually is your means for survival. So you have to make that plan, and we have to understand, okay, what do I need to do with my life so that money can come into my life and I can meet the basic needs of my family? Now, hold on for just a minute and put your seatbelt on because I'm going to say something that you may or may not like, but I believe it's truth. In America, we've spent a lot of time building entitlement programs into our governmental structure so that people can depend upon the handouts and the entitlements rather than working like Scripture says we should do. Now, it's one thing if we need to use some help from time to time. Maybe we're on welfare for a period of time, and if you're drawing from that today, I'm not trying to put you down. But what I'm suggesting to you is, is that you may be there temporarily, but with God's help, He can cause you to rise above a welfare mentality and begin to work for a living. And it will not only bring finance to your life, but it will bring confidence into your life. And it will allow you to feel as though you have purpose in your life. So the first thing that we must do is we must set our priorities. The second thing that we need to do, and this is going to be real spiritual, you're going to think this is dumb, but it's truth. You need a budget. You, you need to understand what's coming in and what's going out because otherwise uh, you're, you're, not, you're not living with a plan. Now Luke chapter 14 verses 28 through 30 says this, For which of you... If you desire to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Well, why was he not able to finish? He was not able to finish because he did not count the cost of construction. 
So we need a budget. I drive by every day of the week when I'm coming to the church office, I drive by this huge house that is on Indian School Road. I think, it, I think it's Indian School. Uh, but anyway, this house is partially built. And you can tell by looking at it that someone started it and either ran out of money or they ran out of desire or maybe someone in the family passed away. I don't know, but it sits there and it has never been finished. And what I want to say to you is, is that God wants us to finish. He wants us to finish strong because our lives are a testimony to His goodness and to His glory. He doesn't want us dying in this life as paupers and just barely getting by and living on entitlement programs when He has the cattle of a thousand hills and desires to bless us with abundance. So we need a budget. So we need to know how to cover the cost of necessities. We have to understand that there are some necessities that don't materialize this week. There are times that we have to budget this week for a mortgage payment or a rent payment that's going to come due in two weeks. So let's just say that you bring home $600 a week, just, just random figures. And you've got to buy groceries, so you, give, uh, you buy $100 worth of groceries. And, and you pay $50 to the light bill or whatever. And then you give uh, $20 to the to gas station. And you add all these things up. And let's say that it comes up to, to, to $100. And your check was $600. And there you have it. You, in your mind, you say, oh man, this is a good week. I've got $500 that I can do anything I want to do with because I've already paid for the groceries and I've already paid the light bill and I've already put gas in the car, what am I going to do with the $500? Well, what I would suggest that you should do, and if you have a budget, you would say, oh yeah, the house payment is due in two weeks. I need to set that money aside and not touch it because in two weeks when the mortgage is due, I've got to have some money to pay the mortgage. But without a budget, we don't know when and how that can happen. So we need a budget. Now, how do you do that? Well, first of all, for those of you who are technologically savvy, there are some great softwares that you can use. One is called Mint, M-I-N-T. Another one that I like and have had some experience with is YNAB. It's You Need a Budget. I like that one just because mint reminds me of ice cream and YNAB reminds me that I need a budget. So it kind of helps with the discipline, but, but you don't have to have software to have a budget. If you have paper in your household and if you have a pencil and a calculator, you can do a budget without any kind of software whatsoever. Do you know that? Now, I don't know how you get paid. I don't, get, I don't know if you get paid weekly or if you get paid every two weeks or once a month or however it is. I'm, I'm not sure, but your budget needs to reflect how you get paid. Now, one of the principles to budgeting is that every dollar that comes into your possession needs to have an assignment. Now, some, some say that every dollar needs to be spent. Don't say it like that. 
Because if you say every dollar needs to be spent, then you'll say, oh, I feel this pressure to spend every bit of this money this week. Because you, you feel that you need to spend it. No, a better way to think about it is, is that every dollar needs to be assigned. You say, well, I, I like walking around town with a $50 bill in my pocket and just in case. I, I like to carry $20 with me all the time. Or I like to have a $100 bill folded up and my mad money in the back of my wallet. That's fine. That's good. If you can afford that, knock yourself out. But budget that in. Have a line item in your budget that says mad money. Uh, have one that says secret from my spouse. No, I'm, not, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That, that just causes problems. My wife frequently says, do you have any cash with me? And I rarely have cash because grandkids ask for it and things like that, or they have a need for this, that, or the other. But every now and then, I might have a $20 bill in there. And every, on occasion, I've got a $100 bill. But I know how it got there. And so what I'm suggesting to you is, is that with a budget you can determine how much money is coming in and how much money needs to be assigned for the purpose that it is designed for. And if you don't have a budget, you're going to be living by faith every day of your life. I hope I have enough. I hope I can get it done. I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know if I can do this or not. If you have a budget and you work the budget then you will know where the money's coming from and where it needs to go. No hands. I don't want anybody to lift any hands. But I want to ask you a very pointed question today, and it is simply this. Do you have a budget? You need to think about that. And then the follow-up question to that is, do you follow the budget. You see, if you make a budget on toilet paper, it's not likely going to do you much good. But if you will sit down with your spouse or your significant other or with your family, whatever the case may be, and you make a budget, it will help you to achieve what you need to achieve. Thirdly, we need to build an emergency fund. That's the third thing that we need to do. We do this here at the church. Recently, we had some unexpected expenses, and while we did have to come to you and ask for some additional funding, we were able to ask for less money because we had an emergency fund. We are in the process now of, of building that emergency fund back, but, but you need to have an emergency fund. Genesis chapter 41 Verses 34 through 36 says, Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. 
So now what he's talking about here is the principle of building up an emergency fund that can be tapped in when? Emergencies. It's not to be used to go to Grater's ice cream. I'm feeling like I need some sugar. It's funny, the other day Jovi was with me and I said, would you like to have a snack or would you like to have this? And she said, no, she said, I'm watching my sugar intake. Seven years old, I said, why would you do that? She said, my daddy tells me that my sugar is out of control. (laughs) You know, emergency funds are meant for emergencies. Now, what Scripture tells us here is that Pharaoh had a dream. And in this dream, he saw seven fat cows and he saw seven skinny cows. And so they got Joseph to come and interpret the dream. And what Joseph told him was simply this. There will be seven years of plenty. That is represented by the fat cows. But then following the seven years of plenty, there will be seven lean years where there will be famine in the land. And the skinny cows came at the edge of the water and ate the fat cows. Now you'd think it'd be the opposite of that. But that is not what he predicted. He said, the skinny cows are going to eat the fat cows and because it represents famine in the land. He said, so here's what you do. He said, during the seven years where you have plenty, set it aside and reserve that in an emergency fund so that when the lean years arrive, you will be able to feed the nation with what you have set aside and laid aside in the emergency fund. I said this last week, I want to remind you of this. We don't have a debt problem as much as we have a saving problem. And here's what I mean by that. Debt can be avoided if we have an emergency fund. How many of you have ever had an unexpected expense like a flat tire? Or maybe your HVAC system at the house went out or wasn't working right. You didn't really have it in your budget for this week or for this month. But you were able to take care of that because you had a fat cow account. Because you had an emergency account that you could take the money out of and call holders heating and cooling or whoever you use, or Milburn, whoever you use, and say, I need for you to come fix my appliance, and and you can pay cash for that. Aren't you glad that our church has been able to pay cash for everything we've done over the last almost 10 years? I praise the Lord for that. God's been good to us. He really has. We haven't had to incur additional debt. We've been able to pay cash for everything we've done. Well, I would like to suggest to you today that if you will plan right and build an emergency fund, then you can pay cash for those experiences and those things that happen with unexpected, those things that are intermittent in your life. You will have the money available because you have planned for it. So we need an emergency fund. Now, it's not likely that your skinny cows are going to eat your fat cows in our modern society. But here's what can happen. We can have an emergency come up, a a, a physical emergency, where you find yourself in the emergency room or at having a doctor's appointment that you were unaware of, that you didn't know you were going to have to have. 
with the emergency fund, you are able to navigate through those things in a much easier way. The problem is, is that for many people, they have a credit card that they have called emergency fund. And, and when something happens, they just pull out that credit card and use it. And then they find themselves paying six months down the road for something that they did six months previously that they find they're still paying on and they're paying 27 to 29% interest in some cases on top of that. So I don't mean to belabor the point, but what I'm saying to you is, is that even before you start trying to save for your retirement and things of that nature, you probably need to establish an emergency fund so that when emergencies happen, you can go to it and use it and not have to go in debt. So we need an emergency fund. Number four. Everybody with me today? Okay. I realized I knew you weren't going to shout today. I understood that. I prepared myself for it. I'm not expecting it. If somebody does, I'll probably fall over and faint. I'm not worried about emotions and that kind of thing today. I'm, I'm concerned about getting you free financially. Because when you are free financially, it'll free up so many other things in your life. Number four, you ready? Hold on. It's going to hurt. Avoid debt. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender. I don't need to read it again because most of you know this. Now, what he's talking about here is how that debt can put you into a sense of slavery. Because you are responsible to pay back those debts. And if you don't pay them back, somebody's going to come after you. It may be a credit, you know, company that comes and they're trying to recover this money that you've borrowed. But listen, if you borrow it, you're going to have to pay it back sooner or later. And so the best way to not have to put yourself under that stress is to not borrow money. Listen to what the Pew Charitable Trust found in a survey that they recently did. They discovered that 80% of all Americans are in debt. 80%. The majority of older Americans who are getting ready to retire carry some form of debt into their retirement years. So that they have to take a part of their retirement income and their Social Security to pay debts from something that they bought five years earlier or ten years earlier. And so instead of going to the Bahamas, they're paying somebody for something that they bought five years ago. Retirees. Seventy percent of those surveyed said debt was a necessity in their lives and something that they did not want but could not imagine living without. Now, let me unpack this for you a little bit. Here's what this means. I know people, and you may be one, and I'm not talking down to you when I say this, but I'm trying to identify some of the, th- some of the ways that we can get ourselves in trouble. Car payments. I know people who have just accepted that I'm going to pay a car payment for the rest of my life. I- I'm going to be paying 
some kind of payment on some kind of car for the rest of my life. So I'm going to budget in, say, $300 every month just to buy a car. And they made up their mind that they're never going to be without a car payment. And so they get to the place where their car is no longer functioning the way that they want it to, or it no longer smells good because you've been carrying babies around in it, and they've thrown up and a few other things in it, and it smells terrible. And so they decide, I'm going to get another car. I knew one man in a church that I pastored many years ago that he bought a new car, brand new car, every two years whether he needed it or not because he just wanted a new car. And so it is no longer about can I buy a car and eventually have it debt-free if I can't do it immediately, find some way to get into a car where I can be debt-free, or we make the decision, okay, I'm just going to, be, I'm going to be in debt for a car for the rest of my life. I remember when, when John and Liz were, were just getting started, and John was telling me that they, they needed to do something with their car, and they were thinking about it. I said to them, I said, you, you're adults. You can do whatever you want to do. If you want to buy a car, buy a car, whatever. But let me, let me give you some perspective. You need to ask yourself, how long am I going to ride in this car every day of my life? Okay, where I go to school is approximately 10 minutes from here, maybe 15 on a bad day. So I'm going to go to school, I'm going to come back home. So that's 30 minutes if you double it. I have to go to work. Work is 30 minutes from where I live. So I've got to double that. 30 minutes and 30 minutes is an hour. So now we're at an hour and a half. Okay, then we need to Kroger or whatever. And so I'm going to drive down there. Now, you don't count the time that you're inside Kroger. You count the time that you are driving to Kroger and then back home. So my, story, my, my example is this. You need to do some math on how long am I going to be riding in this car. And how important is it for me to pay a big payment on a car that I'm only going to be in for a few minutes every day? I know people that they have so much invested in their ride that they need to sit in the car at night and sleep in it tonight in order to get their money's worth out of it. So what I recommend and what others recommend is is that you maybe try to buy what I call a throwaway car. You raise up a couple thousand dollars, three thousand dollars, and you buy a car that you can drive for a couple of years and you keep it healthy and you keep the oil changed and the tires and things of that nature. And then two years from now when it starts breaking down and having hiccups, you lay your hands on it and pray for it. And if it recovers, you keep driving it. But if it dies, you say, bye-bye, baby. I've got enough money now that I've saved from not making a car payment. I've paid myself for two or three years, and I've got enough money that I can go out and buy a car and pay cash for it. And baby, I'm not going to get attached to it either. The day that that car dies is the day I'm going to throw her away too. And I'm going to keep on living. And you know, they, they talked about it and they made their decisions and weighed their decision and they bought, I, it, it wasn't the prettiest car on the block, but they bought this old green Ford Taurus. I don't even remember what year it was. It's been a few years now. What year? 95. 
And let me tell you, they drove that car for a long time. And here, here's the point, and I don't, they won't mind me telling you this. They have kept that principle alive and well in their lives throughout their married life. They drive cars now that they've been able to pay for. They're throwaway. There will come a day that they will have somebody pull a wrecker up to them and take them to the junkyard. But for the time being, they start, they crank, they heat, they cool, they run, and they don't have to make a car payment on that item. So you understand what I'm saying to you. An article in 2014 was written in the Health Report, a periodical that says high levels of debt are associated with anxiety, depression, and relationship problems. Debt is often related to and linked to high blood pressure, lowered immunity, and a host of physical symptoms including headaches, back pains, and ulcers, all tied to the weight of debt. Why? Because if we borrow, we are slaves to the lender. Now, I want to say this. Some of you won't agree with this, and that's okay. I've read a lot of different financial advisors. I've read Ramsey. I've, I've read Crown Financial. I've read some of the others that I could name off. In our society today, there are some things that you may have to take some debt, but it's called positive debt. It's, for instance, a house that you may need to purchase, and you can't just pull out your wallet and say, yeah, I'll give you $150,000 for that right now. It may require you carrying some positive debt, but listen, houses tend to grow in value. And so you can weigh the difference between what you're paying and what you're gaining from it. Now, you've got to be careful because once you start saying, well, I've got a mortgage, I, you know, I've got that kind of debt, there are some kinds of debt, like we're talking about revolving debt and things of that nature, that is never good for you. It is never about your well-being. It is all about the credit card company and the bank making as much money off of you as they possibly can. And why not, instead of paying Chase Bank 27% on your purchases, why not pay cash and give that 27% to God's kingdom? Amen. So, avoid debt. Number five, are you tracking with me? You still okay? Diversify your investments. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 2 says, Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now let me try to hurry through this. For those of you who are fortunate enough to have retirement funds and portfolios and things of that nature, the common wisdom is, is that you need to diversify that. In other words, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Now the writer of Ecclesiastes knows this because in, in those days, there were people who made their money by selling uh, cloth, or they would sell uh, different types of uh, agricultural goods, and say they were 
farming and, and working here in this community, but they needed their goods to go to another country. The only way for them to get there was to go by ship. They didn't have airplanes in those days, right? They didn't have FedEx. They didn't have UPS. They didn't have those things. They had ships. And so what they would do is they would discover what the weekly schedule is, and they would discover that there would be four ships leaving port in four different days at four different times and taking four different pathways to the, to the place where they need to take their goods. And so rather than getting all of their goods and putting them on one ship, they would take their goods and they would split them up and they'd put one on one ship. They'd put another load on them the next day on another ship and then the next ship and the next ship. Why? Because if a storm came up and the ship sank, if all of their eggs were in the same basket, then when the ship went down, they would be financially destitute. And so they've learned to diversify their funds. So you have to learn how to do that. You have to learn how to say, I need some money here, and I, I need some money there, and I need some money over here, and, and I need to get this spread out so that I, I can be safe. I need to diversify my funds. Number six, reduce your risk as you get older. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 13 and 14 says, There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the son, riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is, a, the, he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. Now, I'm going to walk real softly here. But I, I'm, going to tell, I'm determined to tell you the truth. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, your children may not be the best investment that you have for your funds. If you've gotten to the place where you have some funds set aside in your retirement or some investments that you have kept, don't assume that you need to hold on to those funds in order to give your children an inheritance. Because if your children are going to waste your hard-earned money like the prodigal son did on, on living in the world and things of that nature, did you know it's not going to be your son or your daughter that's going to be responsible for it? God's going to hold you responsible because you are the one who sowed the seed into infertile ground. Are you hanging on to me today? Are you listening to me? So this week, and I know this is maybe... There comes an end as to when this really is, is pertinent to us because they are so rich. But in the last two or three weeks, we've had some celebrities that have passed from this life. One was Kirk Douglas. I don't know, he was a hundred and what? Three? Hundred and three. Had, had more money than you could shake a stick at. But when they asked him what he was, or when they read the will and looked it over, they wanted to know what he was going to do with his money. He didn't give his money to his children. Now, I know what your argument's going to be. But they were already rich. They already had money. And that's true. But I'll get to that in just a minute. He said, I want to give my resources to charities that I believe in and believe are doing a good work. This week, Marie Osmond. 
How many of you remember Marie Osmond? She's the one that's a little bit country. And her brother is a little bit, you got it. They asked her about their finances. And she said, my husband and I have decided that we're not giving any of our money to our kids. We're going to give all of our money that is left over, we're going to give it to charitable organizations that we believe in. And we have taught our children not to rely on their inheritance from us, but we have taught them to work hard and to dedicate themselves to being positive and productive in their lives. And just like we were successful, they can be successful too. So here's what I'm trying to say to you. you got to reduce your risks. And it may be that your children, who you're thinking about giving all your money to, may be the biggest risk of your life. And you need to pray about it and say, Lord, is there a better use for this money than for my kids to live off of the world or to live according to the things of the world? Are they going to drink it up? Are they going to drug it up? Are they going to buy this, that, and the other that will not bring glory to your name? Because, Father, if that is what they're going to do, I feel a responsibility to invest this money into the work of the kingdom of God so that souls can be saved. You may or may not agree with that, but I believe there's a truth in that. So we have to reduce our risk. Now, there's another thing I want to hit, and then I'm going to go to the last thing, and that is this. They're telling me now, I'm getting older. I'm still young. I look young, feel young, smell young. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how other ways I can manifest young, but however there is, I'm, I'm young. But they're, they're telling me now, people who advise me financially, in fact, just yesterday, one of my financial advisors said to me, do not look at the balance in your retirement fund for another month or so. But you're going to freak out because of the coronavirus and because of the fluctuation in the markets. But what he didn't know is I'd already looked. <laughs> and I said, I'm, I, you know, what, what, what do we do here? And he said, you're young enough that you need to just stand pat and just wait it out because historically the markets will rebound. And do not look at it again because it only will bring fear and frustration. Trust God and believe that God will provide with you and for you. But now also, They've said when you get to about 65 age, age and years, 65 years of age, you probably need to take some of your uh, high risk money and put it in accounts that are not high risk because you can't afford to lose when you're 65, 68, 70 years of age. So you need to look at that and diversify. You say, Pastor, this is the most unspiritual thing I've ever heard you preach. Wrong. It is the most spiritual thing probably that you've heard me preach in a long time because freedom financially will free us in many other areas of our lives. And this is the last thing, and I'm going to quit. Somebody come help me play my way out of this message. We need to plan for financial success. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 5 says, 
The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So there are two things, two thoughts I want to leave you with. First of all, God does not rain down gold dust on you just because He loves you. You have a responsibility to control your money. And if your money is controlling you, then you need freedom. No way at any time should a dollar in your pocket or your bank account control you. It has no will of its own. It does what you tell it to do. And so if you're in a financial, financially binding situation, let me tell you that there's freedom in Christ. And it begins with tithing. It begins with giving. And it begins with money management. If you have a day this week where it feels like your money is controlling you, you take a dollar out of your pocket and look at it and say, I'm going to pour out all my frustration on you, although there are many other bills in my pocket I could talk to too. But I want you to know I'm a tither. I'm a giver. I am under the blessings and the favor of God. And God is going to cause me to be favored and I'm going to have abundant living in my life. Now what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to be a millionaire? Probably not. But what it means is is that you'll be able to live your life free from the financial frustration that you would otherwise have. If you're not a tither, if you're not a giver, then every week when you hear somebody receive an offering or talk about giving, you're going to feel some sense of urgency that, you know, that's not me. I'm not a tither. I'm not a giver. But if you're a tither and if you're a giver and if you're giving to God faithfully, then whenever that subject comes up, you can just, you don't have to shout it from the rooftops. You don't have to say, hey, everybody, he's talking about me. I'm a tither. I'm a giver. No, just deep inside, you can have that peace and know that no matter what this world tries to come against me, I know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am covered because I am in accordance and agreement with the Word of God, and I'm not just hearing it, but I'm doing it. And here's the last thing. The other thing that I want you to get in your spirit, never, ever forget that God is the God of the miraculous. Listen, if he can split the Red Sea open and let his people walk through on dry ground, don't you think he can get you $100,000? If you are in agreement with his word and you're doing your part, you can only do what you can do. But when you've done everything that you can do, listen, freedom comes through the miracle working hands of God. You remember when he told Peter, go down, pay our taxes? No money. said there's going to be a fish. When that fish comes up on the bank, you just get that fish and open that fish's mouth. There'll be enough money in the fish of that mouth to pay your taxes and mine too. Go do it. 
never discount the miracle working power of God. I have seen him move miraculously too many times. And when you feel like your finances are out of control, I want you to know that if you will do what his word says for you to do, then it gives you the right to come boldly under the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And God who is a miracle-working God, can turn your situation around. If you have some extra time on your hands this week, go to Dave Ramsey's site and look at a video that he's put on there. It's the top 10 financial freedom screams from people who were hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt Some families $150,000, some $300,000 in debt. And they made up their mind that they were going to believe God and God would help them. And they started this journey of becoming debt free. And God miraculously allowed them to get to the place where they no longer had to worry about where the next dollar would come from. And they're just ordinary, everyday people like you and me. So I'm telling you, That if you have God on your side, side, there's nothing too hard for Him. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning?